Happy Yom Kippur. No, you never say that. See, I got you. It's not a happy occasion at all. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's deathly serious. It's solemn. It's a time of reflection. And so you would never greet someone with a happy Yom Kippur. So last week we introduced the second holiest uh, holiday, uh, a fall feast of Israel. There's three. That one is Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year, uh, referred to in scripture as um, the Feast of Trumpets, because it's inaugurated with the blowing, remember we talked about it, of a shofar, a ram's horn. And it begins a day of uh, introspection. It, it begins a 10-day a, a period known as the 10 days of awe, or fear during which time the rabbis believe God opens books in which are inscribed everybody's names. One book contains the names of those who are righteous, the other those who are unrighteous, and the third in-betweeners. People have an opportunity during these 10 days of awe to repent and reposition themselves rightly with Almighty God so that he would inscribe that person's name in the book of life for the next year. So this is a serious time. And it culminates on Yom Kippur right now. This is called Erev Yom Kippur, or the evening, Erev means evening, of Yom Kippur. Uh, we do our holidays, they start the night before the day, and they end at sundown the next day. So around the world, Jews are on Erev Yom Kippur, are gathering together um, to seek atonement for their sins, to try to be right with God so as to secure their name for this next year in the book of life. And we're doing this today because, you know, we're doing this series, Super Duper Bible Verses, and Maria, and Maria is here, I know Maria is here because she bumped into me about three times. I'm already black and blue because of Maria. And uh, she's expressed an interest in these fall feasts of Israel, which are laid out in Leviticus. So for tonight, the super-duper Bible verse I'd like to call your attention to is this one um, here in Leviticus, where it says on exactly, oh, by the way, I mentioned to you on Rosh Hashanah, we don't eat nuts because the the numerical value of the word nut is the same as the numerical value of the word sin, and we don't want to remind God of our sin, so we don't eat nuts. And someone gave me a bag of... <laughs> so thank you so much for causing me to stumble. And these are cashews which I mentioned are my, are my favorites. And in case you're wondering if I share, no. No, I, I thank you. So, thank you for this, anyway. So, look what it says. On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month, that month is called Tishri, seventh month, Tishri. On exactly the tenth day of this month is the Day of Atonement. In Hebrew, the word for day is Yom, and atonement, Kippur. It also means covering, day of covering or day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation, meaning you, you acknowledge it in an assembly of others. And you shall humble your souls 
and present an offering by fire uh, to the Lord. So it is thought Rosh Hashanah starts the period of introspection and repentance. It lasts for these 10 days. And on this day, Yom Kippur, when the shofar is blown at the end of the holiday, that seals your destiny. Your name is inscribed in one of these three books for the next year, contingent on your, uh, the sincerity of your repentance. So this is a very, very important uh, day, and the people, as it says here in the text, are given an opportunity to humble themselves. So the primary means by which we humble ourselves on Yom Kippur is fasting. There are other means by which we express humility before God, but this has come to take precedence. So on Yom Kippur, beginning tonight, era of Yom Kippur, until 25 hours after uh, this holiday commences, we fast by uh, way of showing God we're serious, uh, God, uh, in beseeching you to forgive our sins. We acknowledge our sins and we are humbling ourselves before you, asking for your merciful forgiveness uh, of our sins. So it's a time of deep thought uh, about one's standing with Almighty God. And we reflect on the idea that he's holy. We are not. We have fallen short. And we're, we're going to do certain things during this period of time to do the best we could to persuade God to remove our name from maybe the book of the wicked and put our name in the book of, of life. And so um, the text uh, talks about here in verse 28, this next verse, and you shall not do any work on that very day. So sometimes scripture encourages us to go and other times it just as strongly encourages us to stop. That's a tough one for us, but God has ordained certain days where there are times of Sabbath rest. So don't do any work on this day, for it's a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord, uh, your God. So again, it's called Yom Kippur, or uh, the day of covering. And a covering during this time is sought so as to cover up for our sinfulness in the prior year. And it consists of a blood sacrifice. This took place when we had a temple uh, that stood in Israel. And so the blood of innocent bulls and lambs and other animals was sacrificed, uh, they being substitutes for our sin. Now, some people find it grotesque to think that Almighty God would require blood atonement. But whatever you think is irrelevant, um, he does find blood to be an essential ingredient. In fact, here's another passage in Leviticus 17:11: for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that's true, right? No blood, no life. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you, the blood, on the altar to make atonement or covering for your souls. Why? Because it's the blood that makes atonement uh, for the soul. So God requires blood atonement. That is not a New Testament concept. That has always been what God has required. In other words, folks, no other bodily fluid will do. You, God's not interested and impressed with your sweat, not even with your tears. There has to be blood atonement. 
It can't be you working harder, exerting yourself, even to the point of perspiring so as to impress God. Uh, it can't be tears. Oh, God, I'm sorry. It can't be that. It has to be the application of God's blood atonement for sin. Again, that's not a New Testament concept. I made this statement one time. I think I offended some people, but uh, I didn't mean to. There's nothing new in the New Testament. No, 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 no. Everything in the New Testament is found at least in seed form in the Old Testament. So, so you can find the gospel in the Old Testament. God didn't become gracious when we got to the New Testament. God didn't grow and develop. He always was a gracious and merciful God, and so he had a provision for sin, uh, for sinners in the Old Testament, and the provision was blood atonement. So the text goes on to say, uh, if there's any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. So it's pretty serious. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I'll destroy from among his people. No work, once again. You shall not, here it is, you shall not do any work. It's a statute forever throughout your generations and in all uh, your dwelling places. And verse 32 says, it's to be a Sabbath of complete rest, Sabbath rest to you, and you shall humble your soul on the ninth of the month. That's right now. This is the ninth of Tishri. Interestingly, uh, uh, tonight we're talking about this. So Maria, you are right on time. This is, this is Yom Kippur tonight. On the ninth of the month, you shall humble yourself at evening. From evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. So here's what was required of the people on Yom Kippur and still is. Uh, first, that they humble themselves. Uh, second, that they accept God's covering for their sin. And third, uh, that they stop working. Which of the three do you think is hardest for us to do? Stop working. I think a strong case could be made for that one. Folks, look at it in your own life. It's just hard for us to settle down and enter into Sabbath rest, resting on the merits of Christ's finished work and not trying still even now to contribute to our salvation through our own works. Someone said to me one time, Stuart, you're a Jewish guy. Why don't you keep the Sabbath? Hang on just a second. I do. Well, more likely, the Sabbath keeps me. And so it says in Hebrews, labor, work, so as to enter into Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is not a day anymore. It's an atmosphere in which we stop working to win God's favor and accept the favor we have through Jesus, or Yeshua we call him in Hebrew, through Jesus the Son. So these are the three requirements on Yom Kippur. So now what I want to share with you in a little bit of a painstaking way is what happened on Yom Kippur in ancient days. Uh, seven days before Yom Kippur, the high priest left his home and he was separated from his family uh, during the entirety of this time. He was being examined by the elders so as to make sure he knew with precision all of the steps uh, regarding his officiating through Yom Kippur. It was just that serious, so he had to get ready for it. Because all of the events 
all of his ministrations during Yom Kippur had to be done in an exact and precise order. So on the ninth of the month, Tishri, the elders began to deprive this person even of food, the high priest. Why? They wanted him to be totally alert and focused on his responsibilities on Yom Kippur. And so if he began to doze off, they would sometimes do this to wake him up, or they would read scripture uh, to him. Or, interesting, sometimes around here, reading scripture has the opposite effect. <laughs> but, but okay. Or, or they would walk him on cold pavement. It was very important for the high priest to be alert and prepared and ready to go. He must be focused and absolutely undistracted. So um, morning would come and the temple court would be filled with people. Here's an artist's uh, reproduction of the temple court in that day. In that building would be the holy place and then beyond the veil, the holy of holies. Restricted access. Only the high priest could go beyond the veil and him only one time a year. Now on Yom Kippur. So all around here on the... On the uh, Battlements would be Roman soldiers, you see. They didn't care about the religious practices of the Jews. They were concerned that zeal may take over and Jews may revolt against Rome. So if you can imagine this whole thing filled with people, why? Because soon their high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice on their behalf. And if God didn't accept it, they, they have no hope. They have no access to the mercy seat, which is in there. Only the high priest. Can you see how high priest-centered all this is? Please keep that in mind. So imagine this to be fully populated, Roman soldiers all around. And then in a certain area would be a, a linen sheet, a white sheet. And behind it, the priest, the high priest, would change his clothes and immerse himself in water for ceremonial cleaning. Uh, he would do this five times during the day. So he would remove his personal clothing, he would bathe, and then he would put on special gold garments. And he would wash his hands and feet in uh, a golden bowl, kind of like this, not with soap and water. It wasn't to rid him of germs, it was it was to acknowledge his inherent defilement and make him clean ceremonially. In other words, this high priest couldn't even offer anything on behalf of people until he cleaned up his own act. Please keep that in mind. And so then the high priest sacrificed an animal and then he burned the uh, morning incense and he lit the temple lamps. We call it a menorah or candelabra. And after this, he washed his hands and feet again. Then he took off his gold garments and immersed himself in water again. And then he put on certain required white garments uh, for this day. And then he washed his hands and feet again, just to give you an idea. He would change oftentimes from this attire to this attire. Lots of changing of clothing during the day. And then he would do something quite interesting. He would put his hands on a bull, which was set aside and prepared. In putting his hands on the bull, he would be acknowledging his sin and that of his family. Once again, 
before he could even do anything, before he could intercede on behalf of the people and their sin, he had to make sure his sin was atoned for because he was a sinner just like everybody else. And so he laid his hands on the animal and he would pray something like this. Oh God, I have committed iniquity, transgressed and sinned before you, I and my house. Oh God, forgive the iniquities and transgressions and sins which I have committed and transgressed and sinned before you, I and my house, as it is written in the law of Moses, your servant. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. Shall you be clean before the Lord? He would transfer his sins onto this innocent living being whose death would serve to provide substitutionary atonement for his own sins. This innocent being would die in his particular place. Then he would turn his attention to two goats. Quite interesting. There they are, actual goats. He would turn his attention to these goats, and he would take up a small uh, box. So he's holding this small box and in it are two lots lots he would shake it up open the box and extract one of the lots on one of the lots it would say for the lord and on the other it would say for azazel meaning the scapegoat the um, uh, lamb that was the, or the goat that was the scapegoat was then, uh, the Azazel was then taken over a bridge by a, a priest uh, assigned to do this task. And they would go over, for those of you who've been to Israel, the Kidron Valley, there used to be a bridge over it, over and around the Mount of Olives and into the Judean wilderness where this priest would find a uh, ravine. This uh, goat was distinguished from the other with um, a red string. Interesting, red string was tied to it to distinguish the, uh, this goat, the scapegoat, from the other, which I'll tell you about in just a second. So the high priest... Then uh, I'll tell you what happened to Azazel in just a minute. But uh, at this point, the high priest would take that bowl and sacrifice it, shed its blood, and its blood would be collected in a bowl, then given to a, 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 another priest, an assistant priest, who would constantly stir it to keep the blood from coagulating. Then he scooped up some coals from the bronze altar, which was in the courtyard of the temple, uh, in a gold fire pan. And with this in his right hand and incense in his left, uh, the high priest would enter the holy place of the temple. So just to give you an idea, two rooms inside the temple. This is called the holy place. And then beyond the veil, the holy of holies. 
And again, the high priest is the only one who ever could enter here, and he could only do it on this day, the Day of Atonement. Here's the table of showbread, on, it would be on his right, and here's the candelabra or menorah, which would be on his left. These are all the furnishings that God ordained in, in Scripture. They all have meaning. So he would go into the holy place and then the holy of uh, holies, and he would utter in the holy of holies a short a prayer, and then the high priest would get the blood of the bull again. He would uh, enter back into the holy of holies with the blood, and with his finger he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. It would be something perhaps uh, like this is what he would do. Then he would leave the holy of holies, and uh, he would leave the basin of blood in the holy place. And then he would sacrifice the male goat that was designated for the Lord. That's what happened to that goat, not marked with a red string. The one labeled for the Lord would be offered in sacrifice. He would carry its blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it as before. Then the basin of blood was brought back into the holy place. And there he picked up uh, uh, the basin of the bull's blood, and he again sprinkled the blood as he had done before in the Holy of Holies. This time he sprinkled the blood on the veil itself, the veil that a curtain separating the two rooms. Then he would mix the remaining blood of the bull with that of the goat. I know this is drawn out, but please imagine yourself being there while all this is taking place. You know what effect it would have? It would impress upon the people the seriousness of sinning against a holy God. It wasn't taken lightly. You don't just say, I'm sorry. It costs for there to be atonement. There must be blood. There must be the ministrations of an acceptable high priest interceding on behalf of the people. So after mixing the remaining blood of the bull with that of the goat, he would go to the altar of incense and sprinkle some of the blood on it. Everything, you see, has to be atoned for because everything has been defiled and corrupted by human sin. Today we think what you do in private is your business. As long as you don't hurt anybody, you're hurting everybody. We hurt everybody when we sin. God is not mocked. We hurt the environment. That's the problem with the environment. It's not global warming. That is a sleight of hand trick to, to distract us from the real defilement. It's not outside, it's inside for crying out loud. So everything, everything had to be atoned for uh, with blood. Then the high priest prepared to make atonement for the people. He's ready to do that now. And he went over to the male goat with the red thread tied to its head, Azazel. And he laid his hands on it and he recited a confession of sin, in this case, on Israel's behalf. This is, Az this is the scapegoat. He put his hands on uh, this goat now in order to seek atonement for the sins of the people. Then that goat is now being led away by a priest who takes that particular goat, as I said, to some wilderness area. He finds a cliff and he pushes the goat off the cliff. The goat plunges down to its death and after that uh, happens... Um, 
other messengers waving flags return to the temple and people rejoice. Why? Well, because this all symbolizes the removal of their sins far from them. The goat will never, the goat representing their sin, will never find its way back to them. The goat is gone. The goat identified with red, color of blood, is pushed over a ravine. The goat is sacrificed. The goat representing sin is separated far from the people, so they are rejoicing and they're waving flags at this particular time. The scapegoat can never find its way back. It's been removed far from them. Now back at the temple, the high priest burns the sacrificial parts of the bull and goat on the altar as a sin offering. And as he did this, he reads portions of scripture to the people. Then he washes his hands and feet again. Then he removes his linen clothing and bathes himself again. Then he puts on gold priestly garments again. Then he washes his hands and feet again. Then he sacrifices two rams as a burnt offering. And then he again washes his hands and feet. Then he takes off his gold garments and he bathes again. Then he puts on his linen garments again. Then he again washes his hands and feet. Then he returns again to the Holy of Holies to get the fire pan he had left behind earlier. Then he washes his hands and feet again. Then he takes off his linen clothing, bathes, puts on gold garments, and washes his hands and feet again. He's washed his hands and feet a total of 10 times on this day. Then he goes back to the holy place. He burns the afternoon incense. He lights the temple lamps, the candelabra or menorah. He washes his hands and feet again. He takes off his gold garments again, and he puts on his own clothes. Finally, his day has come to an end, and he is thankful that he had not been in the process of interceding on behalf of the people. He's thankful he had not been struck down by Almighty God. Folks, can you see how high priest-centered the Day of Atonement is? What did the people do? Nothing. That's the point. Nothing. The high priest did it all. The high priest offered shed blood on behalf of the people. Only one person, the high priest, could gain access to the mercy seat of God. Only he could apply the blood. The people did nothing. Once again, the people were simply uh, told, humble yourself, submit to this, two, accept God's covering for their sin, and three, stop working. In fact, working was so... Uh, antagonistic to God's provision that a prohibition against work on this day, just to uh, remind you, is mentioned many times. Look, verse 28, neither shall you do any work. Verse 30, as for any person who does any work on this day, that person I will destroy. Uh, Leviticus, same chapter, 23, verse 31, you shall do no work at all. And then this verse, verse 32, it is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. God is insisting that the people do nothing, lest the people, in doing something, 
take credit for their own atonement. Don't you see? The requirement is humble yourself. Stop being so prideful and arrogant. Accept God's gracious, gracious provision for sin. Stop working. You see, the people were to put themselves in proper perspective to God. He's holy. They're not. They have violated his holy law. They owe him a debt they cannot satisfy. There's no possibility of them working off the debt. No matter what they do, their only hope on this day was the offering of a sacrifice presented to God by the high priest on behalf of the people. That was their only hope. And folks, it's no different today. There are no inconsistencies in the Bible. If you see inconsistencies in the Bible, that tells more about you than the Bible. You need work. The Bible doesn't. The Old Testament and the New Testament is absolutely consistent. As I mentioned, God doesn't progress, grow and develop. He doesn't become better. He was not harsh in the old and gracious in the new. Ridiculous. He's immutable. He's perfect in all of his perfections from eternity past into eternity future. He simply has shown us, uh, beginning in the Old Testament into the New Testament, how his provision for our sin is not an afterthought. It's orchestrated. It's planned. He conspired to redeem us. And he showed us in, uh, in elementary forms in the Old Testament how they would all be fulfilled one day in a far better high priest than the ones we're reading about in the Old Testament. So if this is so high priest-centered, uh, if the people did nothing and the high priest did it all, wouldn't it be great to have a high priest like that? Do we have a high priest like that? No, we don't. We have a far better one. See, I got you. Look, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Now, these are the operative words. Yet, oops, what did I do now? Oh, wow, I'm making matters worse. Don't go away. Okay, yet without sin. See, that was not true of the high priest in the Old Testament. That's why the high priest had to painstakingly seek provision for his own sin before even qualified to intercede on behalf of the people. But this high priest, though tempted, never succumbed. This Jesus was without sin. I shared in our Bible study class on Sunday the results of a study done by a quite a reputable group of those counting themselves to be born-again believers. So we're not talking about the world at large. Born-again believers, 60% said they believe Jesus actually committed sin. So he wasn't just the sin-bearer. He committed sin. And after all, he was one of us and he was human. No, the, no, no, the, no. <laughs> They're, mi they're missing the whole point. See, that, 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 that's the whole point. Uh, Jesus, who had no sin, took on him our sin. We who have no righteousness were given his righteousness. What an exchange. Jesus said, I'll take your sin if you take my righteousness. It's a divine transfer. Who in their right mind would argue with that divine transfer? So we have a far better high priest than they had in the... In the Old Testament, the people depended on the acceptability of the high priest to God. In fact, 
At the hem of the high priest's garments were little uh, bells, sometimes shaped like pomegranates. Bells. Why? Because while the high priest was moving about the holy of holies and the holy place and ministering on behalf of the people, for so long as they could hear the bells as he moved around, they knew God didn't strike him dead yet. In fact, it is said, I don't know if this could be verified, but it is said that a rope was tied to his ankles. So that if, in fact, God didn't accept his offering and, and took his life, you can't go into the Holy of Holies, you just pull him out. See, but, but whether that's true or not, I don't know. This part is true. The people were nervous wrecks. That's why Happy Yom Kippur is not what you say. They were shaking in their boots. They didn't know about the acceptability of the high priest. And if the high priest wasn't acceptable, then his offering on their half would not be acceptable. But, but, but what about us? Much better situation. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's, that's Jesus, of course. Uh, he has no need like those high priests. So now, you know, when you read Hebrews, it's a reference to the priests doing their job on Yom Kippur and on other, other days. You see, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. Did you see how the high priest of old had to offer sacrifice for his own sin? Jesus never had to do that. He didn't have to offer sacrifice first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Why not? Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. Folks, the Day of Atonement only provided a temporary covering for sin. My wife lovingly pointed out to me today that I'm not really dressed in very solemn attire. I wore this crazy sailboat shirt and white pants, you know. Should be wearing dark clothes or whatever the deal is. No. No. I'm celebrating the fact that atonement has been provided. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. I'm not trembling in my boots. Look at that. This he did when he offered up himself once for all. Oh, no. Yom Kippur was only a temporary covering for sin. The next year they had to do it again. Not us. Our Sabbath rest persists on into eternity. That's why Hebrews, the same book, says, work hard at resting. Isn't that counterintuitive? Because in our pride, we want, to, we want to be baptized in order to be saved. We want to give money in order to be saved. We want to join a church in order to be saved. These are all good things, but they have nothing to do with salvation. God said, stop working, stop working, humble yourself. You can't offer anything to add to the totality of the sacrifice of Jesus, my son, accept him, humble yourself, accept his atonement for sin and stop working for your salvation. Serve me in light of the salvation you already have by grace, for sure, for sure. So I, I love the, these fall feasts of Israel. I love what they, what they share, but I'm not observing them <laughs> uh, the way they used to be observed. I'm not, I'm not going to my synagogue or even to this church and uh, pleading with Almighty God to give me what he's already given me. 
I mean, why would I insult uh, our father by asking for something he already, he already gave? He already gave it to me. You know what Jesus said? It is finished. That's what Jesus said. So, well, if you're a Christian, I guess I could say to you, happy Yom Kippur. Jesus is our atonement. Jesus is our atonement. Jesus is the lamb of sacrifice. Jesus is the scapegoat. He is the one. Yom Kippur is only a foreshadowing of the ultimate lamb of God, which happened to be offered by the ultimate high priest himself, the Lord Jesus. Can you see, if I can use a human term, the pains God took to provide redemption for us? Oh, my goodness. And could you imagine the cost in those days? Can you imagine the noise of these animals? They're not domesticated animals. Can you imagine the, the smells? Can you imagine the uh, flow of blood? In fact, it is said that so much blood um, flowed from the altar of sacrifice on Temple Mount down into the Kidron Valley that it turned it into a blood-red stream. It was a horrific time. It really, really, really cost God to provide blood, the blood of atonement for our sin. And it was just as horrible when the Lamb of God, Jesus the Son, suffered and died such an excruciating death. You know the word excruciating has a Latin derivation, excruciating, off of the cross. That's where we got the word. Jesus was cramping up and gasping for breath the Lamb of God, the perfect high priest. And so he, his body was whipped, and it was just ripped with like layers of, of skin. And as it rubbed against the old rugged cross, which we uh, sing about, there were splinters, and it reopened the wounds. And so he would lift himself off of the cross, and he suffocated. He died a death of asphyxiation. It was excruciating off of the cross. It cost a lot for Jesus to be our, not our day of atonement, our eternity of atonement, folks. So what do we do, do about it? Rest in the finished work of Jesus. I didn't say do nothing. <laughs> I just said we're not saved by anything we do. We're saved to do good works, but my not by good works. You, you see the distinction. But the motivation is not, oh, I better do this or I'll be in trouble with... What? Let's sing Jesus paid it all. You know that one? Knowing I'm going to need help. What do you think, brother? We didn't plan this. No, we, you know what, Noe? Here's what I like about Noe. We plan nothing. And it's always good. Do you think we could do this? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left Hezekiel, crimson sin. But, but he washed it. So here's, here's our heart. To stop working. Enter into Sabbath rest. Happy Yom Kippur. Let's see if Noah can get this. Sorry, brother, for springing this on you. Jesus paid it all. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed.
Washed it white as snow. Yes, sir. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for both being the sacrifice and the offerer of the sacrifice. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the totality of your offering. It really is finished once for all. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that though the high priests of old could never sit down, they were never done. You did. You finished the work. And thank you, O oh God, now for the freedom and permission to enter into Sabbath rest based on the totality of your blood atonement for our sin. Oh God, thank you for making this Yom Kippur, this day of atonement, a happy one for those of us who've accepted you as our substitutionary atonement. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, there's one more fall feast of Israel. It's called Tabernacles or Sukkot. And that's the next passage in Leviticus, Lord willing unless he returns next week, in, in which case, Noe, will you be here? No, no, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be. No, he's going. So next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the next uh, fall feast of Israel, Sukkot, which is called the season of our joy. Folks, first repentance, Rosh Hashanah, then redemption, Yom Kippur, and then joy, Sukkot. It's God's calendar. It's a prophetic calendar. We'll talk about it next week. God bless you. See you next week, I hope.